Uh, I do not claim to be a prophet nor the son of one. Though throughout the years, uh, I've been told that I will occasionally have certain insight that will be penetrating, humbling. One of the image, one of the images that very early on in the pandemic of 2020 that I am increasingly convinced that the Lord gave me was the picture of the pandemic being a large magnifying glass. This is an image that's worked very powerfully for me from March to December of 2020 and on into 2021. Uh, We know what a magnifying glass does. A magnifying glass makes larger that which was small. We also know that a magnifying glass makes visible that which up to that point in time had been invisible. So you take out a magnifying glass and that prints a little too small. So you take a magnifying glass and it makes what's small larger. But while you're doing that, you realize, oh, I never noticed that stain there before. It had been invisible to you, but now under magnification, it has now come to your attention. It seems to me that that image works robustly. It works, for example, in, in our surrounding culture. And I, I can't help, because it's had such a profound effect on me as I continue to work and study in this area and hope to share more with you throughout the course of the year, uh, the issue of the example of racism comes immediately to my mind. It's, it's something that we're certainly aware of, and what the pandemic has done it, as a magnifier, it has really, it's made that issue even greater to the point now where it's utterly unavoidable as a human being. There's no way that we cannot deal with this in some shape, manner, or form as it impacts our lives where we are right now. What is it that the Lord mercifully is revealing to us in this difficult time? Is a question that I'm asking myself, and I want to invite you into that conversation as well. Not only has the surrounding culture been magnified, but personally, in my, my own spiritual life, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that many of you have had similar experiences, although the imagery of it being magnified may not be there, but I hope it is for you this morning. Anxieties and fears that I never knew I even had have now been magnified and made manifest in my life as a direct result of the pandemic. And it's been a very sobering spiritual journey over these last nine months to to see the innermost workings of my heart revealed. The person I thought I was, I, I was to a degree, but I'm not entirely who I thought I was. And now I've got this stuff that God has put up on the table, and he says, let's go to work. I want to ask you the exact same question. As a pastor who loves you and who who prays for you, what is the Lord mercifully revealing to you in this difficult time? Even if it's ugly, the Lord knows. And as you hear regularly from this pulpit, the Lord wastes nothing. The pandemic does have a spiritual side to it. Not only in the, the wider culture, not only in our own individual hearts, but heartbreakingly, it's revealed an awful lot of fissures within the church as well. This one, other ones as well, and 
the reports that I hear from around the country and even in around the world. Brother Moise last week uh, poured some hot water for you and put a tea bag in it in order to illustrate uh, what comes out of a person when they're put in these pressure-packed situations. Well, It's applied to the church as well, not just an individual. I spent 10 years in engineering and worked primarily at systems level things. And so I I tend to think in in, in systems ways. And I will say to those who are close to me and in private conversation that when, when when there are difficult circumstances, not only does the individual get pressed, but the system gets pressed as well. The entire system. And so when a system is placed under pressure, you begin to see where the cracks are and where the fault lines are. And that's true of churches and the systems that are churches. And what ends up happening, now churches we know are made up of people, made up of individuals, so these, these things kind of combine. That The inner workings of a person's heart is revealed because of the strain of the situation, but then that has a ripple effect within the body of Christ. So what is the Lord mercifully revealing to us as a church in this difficult time as well. Uh, the amazing thing is you put that magnify, it magnifies not only the difficult things, but also the things that we can rejoice over as well. The opportunities for selflessness have been amazing to me. And the reports from this church and other churches as well in terms of people who are taking risks in order to serve others, in order to answer the questions that are in everybody's right mind now is, you know, am I going to make it? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? Is this going to have long-lasting effects? Is there any hope? The opportunities for selflessness, for neighbor love, for enemy love are extraordinary. I I can't recall in my lifetime the opportunities for neighbor love and for enemy love as rich and as sharp and as profound as right now in our day and age do in, in a primary way to the impact of the pandemic. But then also this magnification not only magnifies selflessness, but it also magnifies selfishness as well. And I very transparently with you here this morning, have fought disillusionment as a pastor. I will, I will turn 60 this year, which many people tell me is not very old. And the number of years that I've been in the ministry now is more than half my life. And never... Up to this point in time in my life, have I been so disillusioned with the local church? I'm working through some of that. And by disillusioned, I've been, I've been surprised. And I've been around enough blocks to have very little surprise me. There's, there's very little that any, new, any of you in this room or those in the live stream can do that would make me go, wow, I've never seen that before. Or, gee, that surprises me. But the, the behavior, the selfishness that I've experienced here, but even more so, more broadly, has really caused me to take a step back and ask, what am I doing? What are we doing that with this kind of pressure applied to the system, people are behaving in ways that you would never expect them to be behaving They present themselves as spiritually mature, as lovers of the word, and all of a sudden, 
because certain things are not going the way they wanted them to go. The train is coming off the tracks. Neighbor, instead of now being the object of our love, now becomes our enemy. Because they have different opinions than we do. Division, particularly, and this is as apparent as the nose on all of our faces that are covered with masks right now. Division along political lines is one of the major fault lines that is rifled through churches. It's an amazing thing that churches are splitting. Churches of Jesus Christ are splitting. Because a Republican can't stomach the idea that the person they're sitting next to is a Democrat. People under the banner of Christianity using their social media platforms to proclaim that if you voted in a particular way, you were not a Christian. That should not be in the body of Christ. Plain and simple. It should not be. Disagree all day long. Argue all day long. Love and respect. Wait till you see these words in Ephesians. It'll rip your heart out. It'll rip your heart out. It seems that these lines, and this is where the disillusionment comes in, it seems that these lines run deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. I've pled with people in private conversation, in meetings. I've pled with people over the gospel of Jesus that this is a stronger bind upon each and every one of the members of the body of Christ than what they believe about a certain policy or about a certain individual or about a certain act that has taken place. No, that's it. There's a line in the sand. And I don't care what... I've had somebody say this to me this, this past year. I don't care what Jesus says. Literally said to me. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm that angry. These are issues that are deeply important to God. And, and I, I can say that because his word contains a wealth, a wealth of material that address these issues. I, I, was pretty, <laughs> I, I was pretty upset when the pandemic started closing things down. I'm going to show you my selfishness. I was upset the pandemic was starting to close things down because my preaching schedule got thrown all up in the air. And if you know me, I've got my charts, and I've got the preaching calendar all set up for all 52 weeks of 2021. I'm ready to go. And then a pandemic, a, a pandemic, really, Lord, the pandemic? And, and now, now I'm thinking, really, I'm small. Like, really, really, Pastor Mark, you, you're going you're gonna to wave your fist in God's face for upsetting your little 8.5 by 11 preaching schedule here right now. Come on, pal. Mia culpa. But as providence would have it, we're going to start next week, the good Lord willing, with Romans chapter 12, and we could not have landed in a better place. Because we're going to start the brand new year talking about what does it mean to be the body of Christ. I, I literally could not have picked a better place to be in the Bible to start talking about the things in this world around us today and how the word of God speaks directly to it before it ever even happened. 
would you pray with me? And I mean this. I, I, I'm, this isn't good pastoral patting you on the head. I'm asking you literally to pray with me and for me. That God would mature us. That he would unite us. That he would move us from selfish to selfless. And that we would literally, taking it right out of Ephesians 4, that we would literally grow up in every way into Christ. Would you pray that with me? For yourself. I'll give you the guide. It's only going to take me a few minutes because we've got communion to celebrate as well. But I'm asking you to pray that with me and for me in the coming year. And I'll remind you along the way that we agreed that we would pray that God would mature us, that God would unite us, and that God would move us from selfish to selfless. Or the simple way of saying it, sermon title, that we would grow up in every way into Christ. Moise looked at me sideways when he heard me mumble about a half hour or so ago, or however long it was, and I said, I can't preach this. I, all day yesterday, all I kept doing was looking at the title. Just, just the words of the title. Grow up in every way into Christ. And I thought, <sighs> I, I thought that, and I thought, well, that's your own strength. Because then I started digging in, and I'm going to help you here. I started digging in, and I realized, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is what God expects, but what has he given me? And so now we'll go back to Ephesians 1, and I'll show you what God has already given you so that you can do this. And we'll go out of here a half a foot off the ground rejoicing because of every spiritual blessing that has been given to us in the heavenly realms through him. Today, we're going to turn our attention just to a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4, as you heard John read so beautifully for us as a way to start the new year fresh with a fresh vision of what it means to grow up in every way into Christ. Okay? Very simple. Very similar to how I started 2020. I pulled out the first sermon of 2020 and had that in front of me all week. Reread it, reread it, reread it, reread it, and kept thinking to myself, God, you knew what was coming down the line. I had no idea on January 5th, 2020, when I preached a fresh vision to start off the new year out of Ephesians 3. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and my heart just welled up inside of me. I thought, man, Lord, you gave me something on that Sunday to set us up for even a pandemic. Three things I want to give you this morning. Here's the first one in verse 3. Unity is maintained, not created. Ephesians 4.3, first point, unity is maintained, it's not created. Second point in, in Ephesians 4.13, is that unity is necessary for maturity. Unity is necessary for maturity. And the third point this morning in verses, verse 15 is that unity is foundational for Christ-likeness. Paul's getting after unity here. We'll take these. The first two I'm just basically just going to state to you. The third one will lead us to the communion table, okay? Now, this, there are, I, I heard John read this. It's about the 20th time I've heard it read this week, and I'm thinking there's about eight, nine sermons in this one passage. I'm going to give you three quarters of one, and I'll let the communion table finish our sermon today. 
Okay, here's the first, here's the first point that I want to get across this morning as we start 2021. Unity is maintained, it's not created. That's a liberating truth. The pressure's off. Unity has been given to us. Let me show you how I do that. Paul, you've heard me say this before. Paul, generally speaking, uh, it's not a hill I'm going to die on, but generally speaking, Paul writes his letters, first half doctrine, second half is the application of that doctrine. Ephesians is a great example of that. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are some of the most soaring theology in all of the Bible. And then at 4-1, he pivots with that mighty therefore. And now he's going to tell us, just like he does in Romans, like I'm going to say the same thing next week, because Romans 1 to 11, and then there's this pivot. Now, in view of God's mercies, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's 12-1 of Romans, and that's where we'll be next week, God willing. But in Ephesians, he goes three chapters, and then he pivots at four and says, now let me tell you how this is going to apply. So don't think for a minute that doctrine's not important. Don't think for a minute that theology is something only for the highfalutin PhDs. It's not. Every one of you is a theologian. Don't blush. Don't go, no, no, no. Every one of you is a theologian. You may not have thousands of volumes at home, but every one of you has, a, has an approach to the Bible. That makes you a theologian. And what I labor to do is make you a better theologian every week so that you understand what this is and how you ought to read it. It's not a cherry-picked book. It's not a book to find life principles in. That makes you the authority over the book. No, no, no. We draw out of the book so we know what God wants from us. It's important that we get it that way. So after three glorious chapters of doctrine, Paul now pivots to application. 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I will say this until God takes my breath away from me, that you cannot live the life that God wants you to live if you're not aware of the blessings that he has given to you prior You hear me use the cart and the horse all the time. Paul has laid out in three chapters the horse for us, and now he's coming with the cart. You confuse those two things, you lose the entire message of the gospel of Christianity. The gospel of Christianity is not about making good people better. The gospel of Christianity is about making dead people alive. It's not a self-improvement program. You will not make yourself better and more acceptable to God. You need to lose that now. Leave that behind. Because God has made you sufficient in Christ to stand before him. And this is exactly what he's saying here now. I urge you now to walk in a manner. So Paul will never urge you, God will never urge you to do something that he has not provided that he's not enabled you to do. So if he goes, to, he goes and tells you to climb a building, he's going to give you a ladder. If he's going to tell you to fight against sin, he's going to give you what you need to steal up your innards and not yield to that temptation. It's called mercy. It's called grace. It's called love. None of us who are parents go tell our kids to do things that we don't equip them to do. Or I, the way I talk about it in school all the time, I'm not going to get upset at a, an eighth grader who doesn't know calculus when they're still trying to figure out what in the world algebra is. 
Sorry if I just made some of you twitch. I, I know those are dirty words, some of you. My, my apologies. What are the characteristics of this calling? Look at this in verse 2. Look at, look at, just look at these patiently with me. With all humility. So these are the characteristics of a person in Christ. With all humility and gentleness. Yeah. And now, remember my opening questions and now start asking yourself the question. This is where I begin to get undone this week. Have I displayed humility this past year? Have I displayed gentleness? But try, to, try to imagine what every Christian, what the world would become if every Christian just took this verse to heart. Just this verse. Not even developing a whole theology. But if we recognize that the DNA of our calling required us, equipped us to be humble and gentle. Just imagine that. Now, now keep, but, but keep going with patience. Bearing with one another in love. You see what I'm saying? You see how this begins to un unravel you a little bit? I look at my own behavior in this past year. I look at the behavior of some of the things that I'm seeing on television and some of the reports that I'm getting through different social media. And I don't see humility. I don't see gentleness. I don't see patience. I don't see a bearing with one another in love. I just don't see it. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it then that we're seeing? Because it's not the gospel. Church, I'm pleading. I, literally, I'm pleading. If you're running right by me right now and thinking that I'm naive or thinking that you're unaware, I'm, I'm not. This is the word of God. This is what we're called to. Now, think about the person who has aggravated you the most in 2020. He, he or she may be some talking head on, on, a, on, a, on a station that you can't even utter. It's so grotesque to you. Do you display, display humility and gentleness and patience? You're bearing with. Because the person that you adore causes the exact same experience to a brother in Christ that you're experiencing with the other person. Eager, here's the point, the first one. Eager, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is not created. You become a Christian, you are unified to the body because of the Spirit of God. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he unifies. So let this settle in, that each and every one who is in Christ is unified with you. If there is division in the church, it's because we've caused it. Because the Spirit unifies, and we're called to maintain it, not create it. We're not called to be the Holy Spirit. We're called to maintain what the Spirit of God has created in each and every one of us. I pray, I pray 
that in 2021, you and I are eager. You see what Paul said? Eager to maintain. This is not grumpy. This is not Eeyore theology. This is not, I guess I'll do this, as you get dragged and screaming to wherever. Paul says, eager to maintain. So if, if, you're, if you're approached by somebody whom you respect and love in the body of Christ and say, brother, sister, this is exactly, it's happened multiple times this past year. Brother, sister, I'm really concerned about the way you're behaving toward, can we talk and pray about this? No. Not only is there not eagerness, there's utter disregard for the fact that this act is going to create division. Point number one, unity is maintained, it's not created. Secondly, unity is necessary for maturity. This, this, is, this is what tears a pastor in half. Because one of the things I pray for is maturity. Uh, Some of my life's verses, Paul, I I, I have taken, for the better part of my adult life, I've taken Paul's words to the Colossians, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I literally pray that over you. Because at the end of the day, I want to stand before before the Lord and present you mature in Christ. That is my M.O. You want to know what makes me tick? Colossians 1, 28 and 29 makes me tick. I literally wake up every other day and think and pray what I need to do in conjunction with the leaders of this church to mature you in Christ. I'm not playing games. This is not a time to play games. We're talking about a holy God here who expects us to mature. You would not want your infant not to grow. There'd be something wrong with the child. Paul says, tells us why eagerly maintaining unity is so important in Ephesians 4.13, if you look down with me, until we all attain, same principle here, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to full maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's an incredibly powerful verse, Ephesians 4.13. And why? It's because the maturity is relative, it's measured against Jesus, not your neighbor. Well, at least I'm not behaving as badly as my neighbor. No, no, no. The maturity, the goal of maturity is to become like Christ. That's Ephesians 4.13. Not better than my neighbor, not, not stronger in the faith than my wife or my mother or my brother or this person. But Christ. 
And he's given the body, apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers, to do what? Verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. My job, the elder's job, is to equip you so that you can then minister and administering in the body can build up the body of Christ. You're sitting on your pew muscles week after week after week. We are a weaker body for that. In other words, no unity, no maturity. It stands to reason, right? A house divided is not going to mature. You know, you know that personally. You know that in your own family. It's true in the body of Christ. A house divided where there's disunity, there's not going to be maturity. And I think when I use the word disillusion, that, that, that's the part of it. Disillusion, not like I, I don't have any idea what's going on. Disillusion in the sense that can we really play church and look pretty and nice and then something happens like this and all of a sudden it goes boom? Like, what are we doing? What then are we doing? If all it takes is a pandemic for us to rip ourselves up. We need to ask ourselves. It's soul-searching time. No unity, no maturity. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me that in 2021, you and I would become increasingly mature? Would you pray with me? That we would become increasingly mature, which is to say we would become unified. Here's the last point in our lead up to the table here this morning. Unity, thirdly, unity is foundational for Christ-likeness. It's essentially the same as the second point. He nuances it, and now he introduces it as Christ-likeness rather than just maturity. No unity, no Christ-likeness. Look at verse 15, if you would, please. Rather, if you're reading from the NIV, it says, Instead, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Unified, maturing Christians are instead people. I love, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a second, I love that line. When that line came to me yesterday, I just love that line. We are instead people. We are rather people. What, what, what does that mean? Well, clearly, he's juxtaposing two things. What is he doing? He set up maturity, but then he says in verse 14, so that we are no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carry about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and every deceitful schemes. Rather, so what Paul's saying is, that's what you're not. If you're maturing, that's what you're not. You're not children. You're not being blown around by every wind that comes down the pike. And that's what's so troubling for me, is because that's exactly what got revealed to us. This is exactly what the church looks like. 414, not 415. The wind started to blow and we behaved like children. And Paul says, no, you are rather people. You're instead people. That when the hard times come, your maturity is shown. You don't rock around every time the wind blows. You don't buy every conspiracy theory. You don't you don't listen to just one side of an argument. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that's how you do it. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way 
into him. I, I just couldn't stop saying that yesterday. I'm to grow up. Not just a period there. We're to grow up in every way. Paul's it's a sweeping statement. There's not one thing in your life that Paul's not including right here that calls us to mature in. Whether it's handling finances, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's self-control, every way we are to grow up into Christ-likeness. And his point underlying all this is that we need one another to do that. I'm not going to get to Christ-likeness, Teddy, without you. And you're not going to get there without Cindy and Sobe and me and the person across the aisle whose name you may not even know. The same is true of every one of us. We need one another. All of our warts and all of our bad breath and all of our bad habits. It's the way we've been made. Michael Horton says... The body of Christ is not, is not your club and people that you get to choose. The body of Christ is where God has put you with brothers and sisters to become like Jesus. Rather than children tossed to and fro, we are grown-ups. We speak the truth in love to one another. Again, I ask very simply, what would the world look like if Christians spoke the truth in love? Ask yourself, not a rhetorical question. I, I'm just asking yourself, what would the world be like if Christians, Noel's age, my age, Paul Kleinow's age, spoke the truth in love? The next time you want to jump off at somebody, grab yourself and say, am I speaking the truth in love? Not just speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Is this going to be edifying for this person? Is this going to enrich my soul? John the Baptist grew up. Luke 1.80. Jesus grew up. Luke 2.40. Same word. They grew up. God expects his churches to grow up as well. Paul, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Of this you have heard before, the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Colossians 1, 6 and verse 10 as well. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, watch this now, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God has an expectation that you will grow up. That you will increase in good works. That you will increase in the knowledge of God. God expects that of his churches. But now watch this. Because I, 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 don't, I don't want to leave you thinking, oh, how am I possibly going to do this? Well, you're not. That's why, that's why I preach to you the gospel. Not, not self-sufficiency, not try-harder-ism, not some hell-bent moral-ism, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Yes, these are the expectations, but watch this right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Oh, Paul, all day long, would shout from the rooftop that I want to present these people mature in Christ. Oh, Paul, all day long, will tell the church at Colossae that they are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He'll do that all day long. But he won't do that without laying out the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. He does it in Colossae. He does it in Romans. He does it in Corinthians. We labor. We labor until he takes our breath away. But at the end of the day, we realize that it's God who causes the growth. You're free. You're free because of what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross. You're free. It's not about trying harder. There's nothing you can do. You've heard the adage. There's nothing you can do today that's going to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do today that's going to make God love you less. You're his child. I don't love my daughter more one day because she cooks me brownies than I do the day she doesn't. I don't love my daughter less because she's just done something that I radically disagree with. She's my child. And if I, being evil by comparison, is capable of doing that, how much more so? How much more so? God expects his churches to grow up. God provides what his churches need to grow up. We come to the table of our Lord for the first time this year. I'm going to ask you, I don't know, what's this, the sixth time? I'm going to ask you if you join me in praying, in praying for and planning for growth this year. Would would you pray with me Would you plan to grow this year? I want to ask you directly, what is your plan to grow this year? We're all planners. You've got a big project that's due this year. You're going to go on vacation this year. You plan. You plan everything. Do you plan to grow? What's your plan? What's my plan? What's our plan to grow? Would you pray with me? Would you literally pray that God would give you a plan to grow? And, and I, I'm not talking about, some of, some of it might need to be life overhaul. I'm talking incremental. I'm talking about taking a step and knowing the blessing of the Lord. It might mean that, okay, I'm going to spend more time, and I'm going to turn the TV off, I'm going to spend more time in the Word. It might mean, okay, I've sat on the sidelines an awful long time right now. I'm going to give Pastor Mark a call, and I'm going to ask him, hey, where can I plug in? Is there something that I can do? You know, I've been kind of grinding gears with my spouse. You know what? I need to sit down. I need to look right at him. I need to look right at her, and I need to say, we need to make this right. Each one of us is capable of growing because God in Christ has mercifully provided 
every spiritual blessing necessary. I'm just going to read this to you. I ask that you maybe even bow your heads and close your eyes if you want to enjoy this reading. This takes a step back to Ephesians chapter 1. It's one terrifically long sentence in the original language. Paul cannot shut the fire hose off. But this is what you have in order to build on growing up in the coming year. Ephesians 1, beginning in 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God expects his churches to grow. God provides what his churches need to grow up. In those verses that I just read to you, We have adoption. We have redemption. We have an inheritance. We have the gospel of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. And ten times, ten times in one sentence, Paul says, all of that is found in him. We humble ourselves before you, Father, and come to this table where we see symbols of unity. How I pray for the beloved here today, Father, for their patience and their long-suffering with me. We ask you to do something among us, O God. You are, you have been, you will be. But we ask that you renew us, Father. We ask that we would mature. That our pride would be humbled. And that you would raise us up in humility. And we know that you will do none of that apart from Jesus Christ. In him we have adoption. In him we have redemption. In him we have an inheritance. In him we have the gospel of salvation. In him 
We have the Holy Spirit. Bless now the partaking of these elements, dear God, that we might drink deeply from the wells of your grace and so glorify our Father who is in heaven. Empowered by your Spirit, in him we pray. Amen.